0: Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and remind you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. Super Bowl parties tonight, just so y'all know. So God told me to tell y'all, I'm speaking it right now. But uh, anyways, real quick, um, I hope that you guys have picked your one that you're praying for and you're currently praying for them. I hope that you're, following along in your prayer journal daily that we have provided you guys if y'all remember this is the quarter of intentional prayer and focusing on our prayer life anticipating God to answer these things and so we're doing all these things to pull you guys in and to be praying as much as you can uh Wednesdays 7 a.m 5 30 p.m Sanctuaries open lunch break, before work, after work, whatever, you want to come, you can sit in silent, you can pray, you can do whatever uh, it is that you would want to do uh, all alone with God in the sanctuary. February 19th, we're having a prayer uh, day from 6 p.m. till uh, midnight. We're about to see who's who's serious about prayer. We're going to have teaching, worship, um, and just time of prayer, praying over uh, different things, ministry areas, uh, things on our heart, just just a real intentional time of prayer. We hope to eventually end up with a 24-hour day of prayer. So, Let's try the six, see how that goes, and we'll go for there. Also, if you guys are familiar with the YouVersion or the Holy Bible app, you can get on there and uh, uh, add me as a friend. But uh, if you choose not to, it's fine. Um, But get on the plan Pray Like Jesus. It's a 21-day prayer plan with a devotional and some scripture, and then where um, you can communicate with one another. If you get on there and invite me, I'll add you to the plan, and we can all communicate together. So, if you notice, we're serious about prayer, right? And what I also want you to know is because I'm intentionally, the eldership is intentionally trying to lead the church towards prayer, you can anticipate spiritual warfare. The closer we rely on and trust in the Lord, the more spiritual resistance that you should be expecting amen and also don't forget the bring one home uh, adoption fun that we're doing this year don't forget that we got some mask that uh, somebody donated to the church it's got the new logo on it so um, we're selling these, like five bucks a piece or just a, a donation, whatever you can pitch in towards it. We got plenty of them. They're a little big at first, so, but they're material that you can actually trim. So you can cut off these things and trim this down a little bit, and they're super cool. Um, Matthew's Table, new logo on it. We have them for sale. Any of the uh, hoodies and stuff that we're selling, all that stuff, the profit's going to go towards uh, funding one adoption this year. Amen. Good stuff. All right. Also, uh, if you haven't got a bulletin, make sure you get a bulletin. This program in the program is going to have upcoming events and things that are very important to the life of the church, but also it's going to have notes and places where you can uh, keep up with the sermon. It's got questions that can be answered. Um, with that being said, there's also connect cards for first time. looks like everybody that's here has been here, but you can fill out your information. We really need you to do that now because we are uh, upgrading to uh, better ways of communication. One's a mass text and then also uh, a digital software that we can email members new things so if you guys can fill those connect cards out and get that information in it'd be really important to us your email your phone number and these different things Uh, but and if you're online watching we also added uh, a, a digital connect card to the website so that you can get on there and you can fill that out you don't have to come to church you don't have to have one of these you can do it right there on the website it'll email us your information and we'll have what we need from you marriage event this saturday 10 to 2, I believe, marriage event this Saturday, Ignite. Is that right, Nick? 10 to 1, matter of fact, lunch provided. Uh, So if you're married, if you're engaged, and you would like to invest into your marriage, be here this Saturday from 10 to 1. All right, announcements on top of announcements. I was trying to really avoid all that. It was hard to do. So with all that being said, good morning. Welcome to the table We miss you guys. If you're online and you're choosing not to come, for whatever reason, we miss you. We thank God that you're staying safe. We can't wait till the day that we can all worship as a family again. We know that day should be coming soon. We're trusting God on those things. I'm gonna pray. Father, we just give thanks for such an amazing day. Lord, we love you, but we hope to love you more. Lord, help us know you better and let us be known by you so that when that day comes it's not a day full of fear but a day of joy and a day of celebration it's in jesus name amen we're finally finding our way back to galatians Uh, those of you that are members here or, or you call this your home church and you've been with us Um, You guys can remember that we were walking through Galatians and we had titled um, the book of Galatians just keeping the main thing the main thing. And after stepping away for a month or so where we had been learning in Galatians that a young church that Paul had planted had been led astray from the one true gospel of Jesus Christ by false teachers who came in behind Paul adding works to earn God's favor, rather than being saved by grace alone, justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. A free gift from God. No work involved. And an easier way to think about it is that they were turning back to their Former religion, which was based on what they do to earn God's favor, uh, instead of this personal, intimate relationship that's based on what God had done. You see that? Religion is what you do to be right with God, a relationship is what He's done so that you are right with God. And Paul arguing with all his might to expose their. Error in thinking, exhaust himself with persuasion to get them back on track. And these first four chapters is just one consistent argument, which got me thinking over the last few days how important what he wants them to remember must be. Why is he going to such great lengths to communicate something he could have said in one page? Like, there was a part of me that up to this point thought that his arguments were all about protecting and defending the one true gospel and rebuking the Christians in the Galatian church for allowing false teachings to be in the church. And while there's good reason to think that, the passage that we find ourselves in today reminds us of so much more. Listen, even with the culture that we live in today where everyone looks to be offended about something and despite my issue with worrying about people's opinions of me, I'll argue the gospel of Jesus Christ as the solution to all of our problems until I'm blue in the face. Romans 1:16 I am unashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes. Amen. And I'll argue it. I stand on it because it's true. And I have an image here that I ran across this past week that I want to show you real quick because oftentimes we get we hesitate on sharing our faith as a result of worrying about what others might think. John MacArthur says, "Don't ever water down the gospel." If the truth offends, let it offend. People have been living their whole lives in offense to God. Let them be offended for a while. 30-odd years taking God's name in vain, rebelling against His gracious, kindness, loving acts, offending Him day in and day out. Let us be offended for a while. However, after so long, being honest with you, there's a possibility, I'm just being transparent, that I may grow weary and realize I'm wasting my time. But Paul doesn't give up because he's not talking to unbelievers, but rather believers. He wrote the letter to the church. And what we learn that they're doing is breaking his heart. And being a pastor who loves the Bible and serving God's people, watching them grow and come to know Jesus in a life-changing way by the grace of God, it's my passion and my heart too, I understand his repetitiveness. I understand his urgency. I understand his repetition of what seems to be saying the same message over and over in these first four passages. I also understand him being harsh. If you guys remember in chapter 3, he said, You foolish Galatians. You fools. What have you done? And I also understand this morning's Bible-thumping You guys can imagine your older brother used to just thump you in the head real hard. At least mine did. God bless him. Whooped him once. But anyways, it's kind of what Paul's doing here. And the heart, the motivation behind this this passage switches from what the gospel is, grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, and what the gospel provides, salvation, right? Right? Saving us from our sin to what it promises. To what it promises, which is freedom in Christ. It's the answer to your first question in the bulletin. Or maybe the second question, it was backwards. But that's the truth found in the truth. When you are saved, you are set free. And you are meant to live in freedom in Christ. Christ. And I know that because you don't have to defend the gospel. Paul knows that. It's the power of God. One of my favorite preachers of all times, Charles Spurgeon, said this, the gospel is like a caged lion. You don't have to defend it. Just let it out of the cage. It's the power of God. So he's not defending the gospel so much this morning. If you guys would, we're going to go ahead and jump in. Now, into Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. You can turn your Bibles there or you can follow me here on the screen. Guys, we're going to be scripture heavy today. So get ready. We're walking through the Word. You hear me? We want to see the truth. Verse 21. This is Paul being a little bit of a smart aleck, but I think he's growing a little weary. But I also think he's a little upset because of what they're doing. Tell me, you. "...who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written, thus saith the Lord, the word of God says..." Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was, a, was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise." Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One's from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she's our mother. For it's written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Verse 28, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise Paul, knowing they failed to remember the promise that's found in the promise that if you're a child of God, you are a free child of God. He takes them to the Word of God. And the portion of the promise that he focuses in on in verses 21 through 23 is a part of the bigger promise that set the whole rescue story into motion. That I feel is important to look at in hopes of learning some things you might not know. Right? All scriptures read out by God, profitable for teaching, correction, right? Rebuke, and training in righteousness. We're gonna do teaching and correcting this morning. It's part of the bigger promise that set the whole rescue story into motion and i want you guys to see some things and learn some things but also see the big picture if man i wish i could do really good at this like i really this is my if you could see the big picture of how the bible all comes together how there's one consistent story told from the beginning all the way to the end that's playing out today old testament Makes the New Testament all the more true. You guys want to know why I believe that the Bible is the holy, uh, uh, infallible, inerrant Word of God? It's because it's self-evident. It's self-attesting. Right? Like all the things that it says in the first few pages have unfolded, and are, and all the things in the New Testament are currently being t- taking place. Right in our own lives it'd be similar to star wars okay while i was quarantined um you know i was i i I always think of the uh uh, the middle three episodes four five and six right the the story that uh, uh paul points us to today with abraham and the two sons would be like episode four a new hope But while I was quarantined last month, I I started watching all these again and I realized in The Return of the Jedi that Obi-Wan Kenobi goes to Yoda and they think Luke Skywalker is the promised child and I never caught this before. And Obi-Wan's like, well, I I think he's the one. And if not, we're in big trouble. And, And Yoda says... One more there is. And now if you watch 7, 8, and 9, you find out exactly what Yoda was talking about. So you see how, uh, um, so you guys can see why I would want to tell the story behind the story. I think it's important. So I'm going to do that as fast as I can to not get us sidetracked. But in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. He created them in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Amen? He created man and woman and the birds and all the creatures and all the trees, bushes, and everything. And in all these things, he looked at them and he said, they are good. And he created the Garden of Eden, and he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And they were in perfect relationship with one another, true communion with the living God, right? And unfortunately, uh, the serpent snuck in and deceived them. And the one thing God told them not to do was the one thing they ended up doing. And so God come down and he said, there's a consequence. You guys have to leave. And he kicks them out of the garden. And there begins this rescue story. And there we find the first proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God tells the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity, that's hostility, between you and the woman. That's Eve. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The seed of the serpent will attack the seed of the woman the seed of the serpent will always be hostile towards the seed of the woman and notice it doesn't say the a seed it says the seed right and so it begins this rescue story and quickly I'll show you but right there you see that there is a promised child to come and so Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden. And immediately they have Cain and Abel. Cain, seed of the serpent. Abel, seed of the woman. I know that because Cain was evil and he killed Abel. Right? So they have another kid named Seth. And through Seth, there's the lineage in Genesis chapter 5 that goes from Seth to Noah. Right? And then Noah to Abraham. And we end up with Abraham. And that's the portion that we're looking at today. But what I want you to also say, see, is that Abraham has a promised child. That's what we're going to look at today. It's episode four. Who then has another child named Jacob, who has 12 sons. Two of them are very significant. One's named Judah. One's named Joseph. God raises up a son who saves Israel through Joseph, but also Judah. Judah has sons that ultimately leads to the lineage of David, who raises up David to save Israel. See this common thread here? That later, Jesus Christ himself would come through who's ultimately the true savior of the world. And that's, just a, that's a real quick version. But in all circumstances, there is persecution from the seed of the serpent to the seed of the woman. Cain killed Abel. There's Seth, right? Noah got persecuted for building the ark. And then when you go on, Joseph, all his brothers beat him up, threw him in a pit, and sold him into slavery. Seed of the serpent, seed of the woman, persecution, enmity, hostility. Right? There's this ongoing story throughout the entire scriptures. It's crazy. I love it. And as you can see, there's a promised child that would come and defeat Satan's works from the very beginning, which is the narrative that continues throughout the whole Old Testament. There's so much more I wish I could share with you. But Paul zeroes in. He takes Abraham's portion, episode four, and he puts it under the microscope. Abraham and his two sons, so that he can make this point. You guys are going to have to follow along with me. I told you we're heavy on Scripture today. I I will share with you this. In Genesis chapter 12, that's where Abraham, God calls him out of his ordinary life and promises to him that he would bless him to become a great nation, that he would send him to the promised land. And he'd be a great nation, so so great that you couldn't even count. However, over time, him and his wife were unable to have a son, and they grow weary waiting on God and take matters into their own hands. So we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 16, Genesis chapter 17, and I'll give you the short versions, 1 through 4. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarah said to Abraham, "I know it says differently. I'm just that's that's what I call. Them. Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children." Genesis chapter 12 promised there'd be a child. Go into my servant. You guys can figure that out. It may be that I shall obtain children by her and abraham listened to the voice of sarah remember eve listened or adam listened to the voice of eve right so after abraham uh, had lived 10 years in the land of canaan sarah Abram's wife took hagar the egyptian her servant gave her to abraham her husband as a wife and he went into her and she conceived a son according to the flesh Genesis chapter 17, 15 through 21, and God said to Abraham, so he's had the other son, right? As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. King of peoples shall come from her. Verse 18, and Abraham said to God, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, and I love this, God says, No, it wasn't the promised child. It was you doing things your way. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I'll establish my covenant with him as an, listen, as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I've blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes. I'll make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac. Who? Isaac. Whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Now, a little bit of teaching just so you guys fully understand. Does anybody know what the Abrahamic faiths are? The Abrahamic faith. There's three faiths, right? Judaism, that's the Jews. Christianity, that's us. And then Islam, the Muslims. All, uh, all three of those faiths come from those two stories found in the Bible. Specifically, what's most interesting is the Islam, the Muslims. Now, they're, they're, not all Muslims are this way. They're just this you know, these uh, the few really radical groups. But tell me if this makes sense to you, because I didn't tell you this one. Genesis 16, verse 12. Speaking of Ishmael, who's claimed to be the grandfather of Muhammad, the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Muhammad, who's the founder of Islam. This is what it says. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. I love the Bible. When I first found that out and, 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 and realized that the Word of God in Genesis chapter 16 tells us why we have these three faiths today, it just really does something to me, right? The Word is good. So Paul would use the Word as his final attempt, essentially, to get the attention of his people. So there's the backstory story that puts some clothes on Paul's argument. Abraham was promised a son that would continue to fulfill God's promise. First from the garden, there will be offspring that crushes the head, but also that was made to him personally. Speaking of Abraham, the problem is Abraham didn't wait on the promise, did he? Tired of waiting in his own power does things his own way and he has a son the son according to the flesh and so the rescue story continues and picks up here one thing being this god is the covenant maker and we are the covenant breakers you see it all through the bible and you probably have done it yourself And so Paul in verses 24 through 27 tells a story intended to remind them of the truth that he won them over with initially, the gospel, the one true gospel of Jesus Christ, but also reveals an identity problem. This story is specifically called an allegory. Now don't don't, don't allow that to tune me out because you don't know what that is because I didn't either. So don't worry about it. We're in the same boat. I'm going to tell you, an allegory is a literary work. It would be similar to a parable or a fable or something that conveys a hidden meaning, usually moral, spiritual, or political. And through the use of symbolic characters and events, in an allegory, each character is used symbolically revealing a hidden truth. For example, you guys remember the story of the tortoise and the hare? The turtle and the rabbit. The children's fable where the tortoise represents those who are hardworking and diligent and persevere, ending up the winner of the race. And the hare represents those who are foolish and overconfident and lose as a result of that that should be a an example of an allegory now that that kind of helps you see what he's trying to do and heck this played out in my life not too long ago my stepdaughter me and my wife there was a time where we would go jogging in the neighborhood and uh my 16 year old stepdaughter at the time was like yeah i'll go too. play volleyball work out cool She's making fun of me being old and fat and bald and all that stuff. She was just going to blow me away, right? And we took off in the neighborhood, and we got going down the road, and she's like a quarter of a mile ahead of us, you know, acting like it's nothing, hair blowing in the wind. And within about 15 seconds, she's like, (sighs) done. Went on back home, and old dad finished the mile, you know what I mean? Tortoise in the hair. And so the hidden meaning of Paul's allegory is this. Sarah and Hagar, two wives, represent two covenants that God made with mankind. Hagar and Ishmael represent the covenant of law and works. And Sarah and Isaac represent the covenant of grace and faith. Hagar and Ishmael is symbolic for trusting in ourselves, doing things in the flesh, taking matters into our own hands rather than trusting God, which always produces some consequence no matter who you are. Take the workaholic. You burn out. You grow weary because you get lost in your busyness while searching for significance, trusting that you're, your, uh, your performance will validate you or give you something that makes you feel better. What about the relationship junkie? Has the broke picker? Always compromising or settling for anyone that shows you attention to avoid being lonely. Communicating Jesus is not enough. And the perfectionists, hoping to maintain an unrealistic standard that provides validation and acceptance from others but forfeits your peace and joy. Of course, the alcoholic and addict. God delivers you from the slavery of its control. And in a moment of weakness, you turn back to the alcohol and drugs, forfeiting your witness of God's power for what brings instant gratification. We've all done it, right? We've all trusted in ourselves. Which explains... That the Galatians reverting back to observing the law means that they're, they're ignoring the promise they have in Christ. And relying on the law always leads to spiritual death. How do I know that? The law, the Ten Commandments, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. This is what Paul said. If the ministry of death, what, what's the law nicknamed? The ministry of death, carved in letters on stone is what Paul says. Ten Commandments is the ministry of death. So attempting to obey the law by your own works does not lead to freedom, but rather slavery. His story also makes mention of Mount Sinai and Arabia specifically to illustrate what they already knew. See, that meant something to them. Mount Sinai was where the uh, Ten Commandments were given. Moses gave the Ten Commandments, Right? In the region of what is now Arabia, the Middle East, right? And in Romans, uh, but, but the law that was given at Mount Sinai what, had an intention. The intention was to reveal sin. And we know that because Romans chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Stop trying. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. If we didn't have the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't have known what sin was, right? Which brings separation from God and which brought separation from God. Then requiring or initiating a religious system of providing sacrificial lambs to be slaughtered to pay for the sin of Israel so that they could be right with God while waiting on the promised child. And I want you to see something in the event that you struggle with relying on yourself. Abraham did the same thing. And God stayed faithful to his promise, which tells me I may fail and trust my flesh someday over God's promise. However, he keeps his word anyways. (coughs) He keeps his word Anyways, Second Timothy chapter two verse thirteen: If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. So the hidden meaning in Hagar and Ishmael is relying on self leads to spiritual death, eventually enslaved to sin. Sarah and Isaac represent the covenant of grace and faith as a result of the supernatural promise. Remember, God promised the seed of the woman would crush the head of the enemy, saving us from ourselves and setting us free. While Isaac was clearly the child that God promised to Abraham, I already showed you that. I'll make my covenant with Isaac, not Ishmael. He wasn't the savior of the world, but he did point to the savior of the world. Because God's promises are supernaturally fulfilled for the purpose of demonstrating the separation between him and us. You are not God. I am not God. But there is a God. Listen, Sarah was 90 years old and had been sterile or barren all of her life. Unable to have a child. But God, remaining faithful to His promise, enabled her to conceive a child way past the age of childbearing. Purely by grace alone, God gave them a son that would continue the rescue story but also to show us the contrast between the two sons being seed of the flesh, doing it our way, and seed of the woman, trusting in God's way. One leading to death and the other to freedom. One son from the slave woman making you a slave and one from the free woman. And if you come from the free woman, you're meant to rely on God so that God's people can be free. Because historically, Genesis to Galatians, when the people of God trusted in themselves, they always walked away from God. But when relying on the promise, they experienced God in a supernatural, personal way, leading to freedom. So yes, there was a child promised to Abraham that God would continue his plan of redemption through in Isaac, which led us to the promised child we've already looked at in Genesis chapter 3, fulfilled in Jesus, the baby in the manger. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Thank God for that. However, what we need to understand today is the promised child, not promised, but the promise child is me. The promise child is you if you've trusted in Christ. You've received the promise of salvation, and you've received the promise of living in freedom. And in verse 28, where Paul says brothers, meaning Christians, he's making my case from earlier that he wasn't as worried about their salvation as he was what would come from relying on their works rather than the works of God. And in the last part of verse 28, he says, Like Isaac, you are sons of the promise. And that promise is a life that's free from sin and death. What the enemy damaged in the garden has been redeemed. And the curse has been reversed. And sin may still be a resident in my life, but it certainly isn't the president any longer because the power of the gospel impeached him. I vote impeachment all day when removing sin as the president in someone's life. And technically makes us the post-promise kids. We are a specific generation that God talked about in Genesis chapter 12. Who, by definition, should be living as if that promise has been fulfilled. Total freedom from the bondage to sin and the fear of death. Trusting God to fulfill all of his other promises found in the Bible. I'm gonna give you just a few quickly, just for a reminder's sake. Things that we can stand on, we can believe, right? Psalms 139, verses 13 through 14. You formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together. God knows me. Knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. You got a problem giving God praise. You got a problem giving God shout-outs. And you got a real problem. Right? For I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Matthew chapter 6, verse Thirty-three. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you. What are those things? It's the entire chapter 6. All your clothing, all your hair on your head. He talks about that. That's not meaning me, I guess. But all the food that you need. He's like, look, do birds stand in line at the help office? They don't need help. You can trust it to be true. Romans 8 28, and we know that for those who love God, that's believers, not everybody, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to His purpose. No matter what you're facing or enduring right now, it's for your good. You may not feel that way, you may not think that way, but it's for your good. That's good news. John 16, Roger, I'm just struggling. I'm having a hard time with some things. Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have problems. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Romans 8, 1. Roger, I've made a few mistakes because of those things you just talked about. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ. Right? Ephesians 2, 10. I just don't feel like I'm supposed to do much at the church. I don't qualify. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You can believe that. That's true. I don't know. I just still struggle with guilt and shame. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, and our sins cleanse from all unrighteousness. Man, this dude's Good. I don't know, I you know, I sit around and I think about well what what happens if I get off track and and, and you know and, and 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 like get away from God. Philippians one six, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It won't stop. It don't end. You might do things your way, but he's gonna get you back to his way. And in jo- John eight thirty six, this is the thing, like Paul sees his brothers, his Christians, not living a life of of freedom, and he says, So if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Amen? Are you living a life that points to the power of the gospel and testifies to His goodness? When people see you, do they say, I want His God? The days that I am most free is the day God gives me the grace to trust Him in all things. But like Paul, one of the most difficult things for me as a pastor is to See God's people not living in the freedom that comes from trusting Him, believing in and standing on those promises I just shared with you. In all things, in all things, it's the most disheartening, discouraging, defeating thing to watch someone who's been born again supernaturally. They went from a dead person to becoming alive be overcome with burdens and seem lifeless as a result of unbelief in God's promises. And that may offend some of you, but it's true. Our biggest issue is unbelief in what God said he would do. It's very Michael Schofield of us, is it not? Main character in Prison Break. He's free and he breaks the law to put himself into prison. That's what we do. That's what the Galatians were doing. We give up our freedom purposely, putting ourselves into custody. Listen, listen to me, guys. A Christian who forfeits their freedom is a Christian who doesn't truly know God. And that includes me. Take Abraham. In, in, in the case of Isaac, initially, God told him he was going to have Isaac. He has Ishmael instead. So he didn't trust God, did he? But later, when God said, take that one and only son, the promised child, up the mountain and kill him, Abraham didn't ask a question. He grew from one season into another season. Where he didn't wait on God once before, he learned that he's supposed to wait on God the next time. Are you waiting on God today? Think about it. Turning back and relying on the person that got you into the dilemma that caused you to cry out to God, that's you, is as useless as a glass hammer. You couldn't save yourself then and you can't save yourself now. Right? Music team can start heading this way. And and I want to be honest with you, though, guys. Although there are times I find myself struggling with the very same things, I'm reminded through His Word and through His people that my God is the big G God. They capitalize my God's name because He's a person and He's real and He turned water into wine. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He fed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. He gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. And on the third day was resurrected, setting the captives free. That's my God. And that rescue story that gets told all throughout the Old Testament gets fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb no more religious system that was the substitute for your sin and my sin, satisfying the wrath of God, crushing the head of the devil, and even better, sending us the Holy Spirit that provides us the ability to live in freedom. And guys, if anybody understands this better than me, it's me. I understand this is hard. It's hard to trust promises. One, we have problems with promises because people who meant a lot to you have broken promises to you. They didn't, they didn't follow up with what they said they would do. They let you down. They disappointed you. Two, we have problems waiting on God. Right? Like, I just want to do things in, in, when I want to do them in my own timing. And, and honestly, God, you should have already done something anyway. So, hey, thanks for being God, but I'm going to take this one over. I'm going to do it myself always leading to a consequence. Which I think this verse might help with that. Hebrews 6.13, check us out. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear on, he swore by himself. Hey, the rest of that chapter literally talks about you guys typically like swearing on other people that's greater than yourself. Bro, I swear on my mom, man. I wouldn't lie to you. You know what I mean? Hey, I swear on my kid. If I swear on my kids, then you know I'm serious, right? God swears on himself. Because he's all-powerful, and he's all-knowing, and he's always present. Things that we can't do. But by grace and through faith, we can live in that freedom. God is the only true gangster in my opinion because he swears by himself. And knowing we are a part of that promise, we can be sure of these truths that I've shared with you today. That you're to be living in freedom. Because when we're born again supernaturally by the same Holy Spirit that enabled the 90-year-old Sarah to have Isaac and caused the Virgin Mary to conceive the Son of God, we are brought into God's family, fulfilling the promise in Genesis 12 that I told you about. There's billions of Christians. And we're in that family not based on what we did, but based on what God done. And that's why the hidden meaning to Sarah and Isaac is that by grace and through faith, we can expect to experience God in a supernatural way. If God came through for them, Christian, hear this this morning. If God came through for them, He will come through for us. Right? If God promised a son to save the world, In Genesis chapter 3, and in the four Gospels in the New Testament, He fulfilled that promise. Then we can trust that by living in freedom and trusting in Him, we can live a life that we probably never lived before. And I invite you to do that this morning. And I'll tell you why. Because God cannot lie, and God cannot change. He's a good God. And listen, if you're here this morning and you're anything like I was at one time where I thought to myself, I'd never want to be a Christian and be a slave to all those rules, I need you to understand something. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Truth is, because of man messing things up between him and God, God, create, God had created to be good. His promise that Adam and Eve would die was not a physical death because they didn't die. They live, but rather a spiritual one that we can't fix ourselves. So He promised the seed of the woman to crush the seed of the serpent, and He did that in Jesus Christ. And all those apart from Christ are actually slaves themselves. Slaves to sin. You do what you want to do. Incapable of escaping death. But in Christ, you are free. You're no longer a slave to sin, but rather a child of God. So I ask you this morning to run to Jesus. Be rescued. He sent the Savior so that you can experience a true life of freedom. Will you do that this morning? Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.